The Old Testament reading for this morning, this first Sunday in Lent, uh, is from Genesis, actually. It's a story of the fall of mankind, and it's a reminder of the human condition. So I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Had God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our gospel reading for this morning is... From the fourth chapter of Matthew, the opening 11 verses. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan! For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by the devil. It's traditionally the the lectionary's first appointed gospel reading in the season of Lent, which we enter into this Sunday, it serves as a reminder that throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he faced a great many trials. And in that regard, he relates to us. For throughout our lives, all of us face trials as well. We too experience from time to time, visits from the tempter. 
What sets Jesus apart, however, is that throughout his ordeal, he does not give in to any of the sins which are conveniently placed before him in his weakened and famished state. The devil was up against a tough nut to crack in the wilderness. Despite his persistence and what must have been uh, a very weakened Savior, the Spirit of the Son of God never faltered. And that's one of the chief differences between him and us. Though tempted as we are, Jesus was without sin, never giving in, unlike every person who has ever been created from the dust of the earth. Sin is the great unifier among the human race, and perhaps we may one day discover, even in the distant galaxies as well. Perhaps one of the most frightfully vivid embodiments of the sinfulness of man can be found in the 20th century's world wars. A generation after the end of the Great War, also called the War to End All Wars, came an even more widespread and gruesome sequel. In the midst of this macabre spectacle, in August of 1941, the BBC aired the first of several installments of short lectures by an esteemed professor from Magdalene College at Cambridge University, one C.S. Lewis. His first address was titled, Right and Wrong, A Clue to the Meaning of the Universe. In less than a quarter of an hour, he laid out his argument for a universal law of human nature, which we might understand, as he suggested, uh, fair play or, or decency or, or even morality. And then Lewis went on to observe how we have failed to practice ourselves the kind of behavior that we expect from other people. Each and every one of us transgresses against this moral code that lies within each of us, he claimed. Often we have an explanation or an argument or an excuse for our misbehavior, but that does not change the fact that we have conducted ourselves contrary to a code that we know and we understand that the world is supposed to run in accordance with. But moving on from the moral to the theological, we can name such actions as sin. Within the walls of this sanctuary, I have oft repeated the scriptural truth which speaks to the human condition, namely that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God since the beginning of the human record. We heard read again this morning the account of the first fall of humans. The very first humans were fallen beings in the garden. There were no one else around. It was just them and God and the serpent. And seceding generations were stained with their own transgressions of God's will as well as that of the memory of their ancestors. On and on this heritage of sinfulness has stretched 
right up through Lewis's talks during the Second World War and straight on, right up into the very present moment. On and on it goes. So what are we to do then? Despair of it all? Well, certainly that is an option. And regrettably, throughout the course of human history, one that many have chosen to exercise. But, and this is where C.S. Lewis would guide his listeners as this multi-part radio series on the BBC went on, uh, a series which, by the way, would become the basis for his published book, Mere Christianity. He claims there is a better way. It is precisely the way where our gospel reading this morning takes us. And that is into a desert wilderness. A desert wilderness of sin. And that is just where God, incarnate in Jesus, chose to meet us. He came to us in the muck and the mud of our filthy existence, arriving right in the middle of a place full of dirt and vermin and filth, so that through him we could be made clean. As we read the account of Jesus' earthly ministry here in Matthew, but similarly in Mark, Luke, and John as well, we're shown a consistent pattern of the sinless one putting himself in the path of the sinful. Asked about this penchant, he tells folks that these are just the sorts of people that he had come for. In other words, if there were no curse of sin lying on humanity, there would be no need for one to come bringing a cure. That was the grand sweep of Lewis's wartime messages. To get to the redemptive part of Jesus and his ministry, we must first do the hard work of reflecting on the human condition apart from God and come to the painful yet necessary conclusion that we are not all right on our own. Indeed, we are very much in need of a Savior who can save us from that which we could not and cannot save ourselves. Here, in this season of Lent that we have embarked upon, we are invited to reflect on our own particular need for a Savior. To do this, we must engage in the quite unpleasant work of uncovering and admitting our own sin. Now that's never an invitation that's going to get an overwhelmingly enthusiastic response but no one can skip past facing the cold, hard facts. Or we would never come to the eventual realization that we need help. And he has come. The historical Jesus, as has often been used to describe him, is a, fit, is a figure from the ancient Near East. A man with a rather unremarkable family, following in the footsteps of his father, a carpenter, who spent most of his days in a backwater town on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. A man who would show in his adult years a penchant for studying the law of Moses and the other collected writings of the Hebrew scriptures. 
And he could speak about them in a way that not many could. This talent led him to take his speaking show on the road, and in the process, he attracted a small following of devotees who aided him in feeding the hungry and healing the afflicted as they traveled. He eventually ran afoul of the Roman authorities and their proxies in the Jewish religious and political hierarchy and was arrested and killed for being a threat to the established order. But the truth of his amazing life and death and resurrection is far more compelling and consequential than what could be seen from afar by a detached observer of the historical Jesus. 36 years after C.S. Lewis spoke to wartime Britain, our own denomination would set out to quantify the reality of sin and the work that God had done to address it in Jesus. The result of their work was a document that we still have in our book of confessions. It is one of the shortest and most concise of all the entries in that volume of our Constitution. I invite you to have a look at it yourselves sometime during this season of Lent. You can find a copy here in our library over in the Fellowship Hall, or you can look it up online. The authors of the Confession of 1967 asserted that the reconciling act of God in Jesus Christ exposes the evil in men as sin in the sight of God. In sin, men claim mastery of their own lives, turn against God and their fellow men, and become exploiters and despoilers of the world. They lose their humanity in futile striving and are left in rebellion, despair, and isolation. The confession continues, wise and virtuous men throughout the ages have sought the highest good in devotion to freedom, justice, peace, truth, and beauty, yet all human virtue, when seen in the light of God's love in Jesus Christ, is found to be infected by self-interest and hostility. In the words of John Calvin, we are totally Depraved. There is not one area of our lives which has not been tainted by sin. All men, good and bad alike, are in the wrong before God and helpless without his forgiveness. Thus all men fall under, judge, under God's judgment. No one is more subject to that judgment than the man who assumes that he is guiltless before God or morally superior to others. Now, I have to admit, though I wasn't involved in any of it, I was a little young at the time, I think these folks did a pretty good job of summarizing all that. The creed lays out that contrary to the narrative of the secular humanists, mankind is not, deep down, good. Granted, we are capable of helpful and even selfless deeds, but it is inherently not our nature. It's not that we're okay. Look at the news. You know we're not. 
Look in the mirror. You know we're not. It may sound a bit harsh, but deep down, whether we want to accept it or not, we know the truth. And so does God. He created us. He knows us. And yet, He still loves us. That's why He's reached out to help us by sending a Redeemer. This great drama of creation, fall, redemption, and reunion is the story told in Scripture. One can understand the redemption and reunion only insofar as we understand the fall and its consequences for the human race. And that is what I think this Lenten season gives us the invitation, the inspiration, and the space to do, individually and together. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.